Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Good evening, everyone. This is CNN Tonight. I'm Allison Camerata. Laura is off this evening. So tonight we have new details about the violent attack on Speaker Nancy Pelosi's 82-year-old husband, Paul, in their San Francisco home. An intruder attacked him with a hammer. Sources say the suspect was shouting, where's Nancy? And when police arrived, he told them he was, quote, waiting for Nancy. An angry President Joe Biden called the attack despicable. Enough is enough is enough. Every person of good conscience needs to clearly and unambiguously stand up against the violence in our politics, regardless what your politics are. Now, this part will not shock you. The alleged attacker posted conspiracy theories on Facebook, including links to multiple videos from the Trump ally and pillow salesman, Mike Lindell, saying insane things about the 2020 election. So not only are our elected officials in danger days before the midterms, so are their families. Federal officials are warning that domestic violent extremists pose a heightened threat to the midterms and beyond. Let's bring in our CNN law enforcement analyst, Jonathan Wackrow, and CNN national security analyst, Juliet Kayyem. Great to have you guys in the studio. So they just had a press conference about this, the San Francisco Police Department, uh, moments ago. So here's what the chief said uh, based on their latest information. Let's listen. We also know, based on our investigation at this point, that this was not a random act. This was intentional. And it's wrong. Our elected officials are here to do the business of their cities, their counties, their states, and this nation. Their families don't sign up for this to be harmed. And it is wrong. And everybody should be disgusted about what happened this morning. Juliet, we feared that things like this would happen. Political, I mean, uh, they don't have a motive yet. There's still early days, obviously, but it sure looks and feels like political violence. Where's Nancy is is kind of your clue there, right? I mean, he's you know, she is the second in line for the presidency, and he was looking for her. So we're talking about this as an attack on Paul Pelosi. It essentially was an attack on Nancy Pelosi. And in that, if you think of it in those terms, it would be hard to deny that this is a political attack. And so what we're finding on social media is confirming a narrative about someone who got radicalized through the the fake election and the January 6th and, and all the stuff that things were taken away from him. He may have mental health issues, whatever it is. It sounds like it. I mean, he does sound like he has a long history of being unhinged from neighbors and friends. Right. And so, but lots of people have mental health issues, but, but most do not do this. And so what was that? Who was, who or what noise was leading him there? And I think that's going to be uh, very interesting. And then who else is, is picking up on that? I think, I think the threat level for other federal officials is just, it's got to remain high and, and uh, there has to be vigilance for them and protection for them, at least until after the election. And that leads us to their families, Jonathan. I was surprised to learn today that our top leaders' families don't get yeah. protection. It's, it's stunning. It's stunning. To Juliet's point, this is the number two 
person in line of presidential succession. The fact that their house was broken into, that there was no residential security, the fact that the husband was attacked physically, violently, is is a hospital. This is unacceptable, full stop. We're not, this is not a new threat environment that we're living in right now, right? This has been around for a long time. We're hearing warning after warning, but we're not taking the right action. We're not applying the right control measures. What should we be doing? We need to be, you know, focusing on protecting these political leaders, right? So rank and file members, members of congressional leadership, the same way that the Secret Service does. We need to protect them. Well, she has protection in Washington, D.C., but are you saying that all of their families should, at this point in this climate, because it's gotten so bad, also have protection? Because obviously that costs a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. But But it costs a lot of money. Let's put the money aside, right? We'll figure out what the government spends money on a lot of things. Let's not let's not think about how do we pay for protection. Let's apply it when it's necessary. And guess what? When you are in line for the office of the presidency in the United States, you need 24 hour protection on your home. You need protection of your spouse, your family, everybody that could impact. Because here's why. Today, family members are soft targets. They're a path of least resistance for an attacker. We know that. We've seen that time and time again. And there's a material impact that will occur in Speaker Pelosi's ability to lead right now because now she's removed from the game. Two weeks out, we're concentrating on an attack of her husband, not on the the, the midterm cycle, et cetera. So protection has a purpose and we need to apply it correctly to the threat environment that Juliet has been talking about for years. We all have been. Um, Juliet, no surprise what you find on this guy's social oh, yeah. media stuff. I mean, just it's just textbook. It is. And and so it's, so, I mean, I'll just put up some stuff. So Mike Lindell, who's yeah. the pillow salesman and just famous conspiracy theorist, this guy was, you know, tweeting videos produced by him and then, you know, all of this just conspiracy nonsense about January 6th. And so we've seen it time and again, Juliet, there's a connection. Yeah. But why can't we figure out the connection before the violence happens? Well, because there's, there's, there's a nurturing of this kind of violence uh, coming from uh, leadership of the GOP. I mean, the, the, the person who is likely to get the nomination, uh, Donald Trump, uses the language of fighting. I mean, he, he targets people. We don't have to be shy about it. We don't have to do both sides. Like, let's just be clear here. There is violence. Uh, 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 that is directed and nurtured uh, by the leader of that party. And then the problem is, is it is either denied, accepted, or also embraced by other members. And what, what I... What is important to remember is the is the well, let's just move on attitude that you hear from many people like, oh, that's just Trump, whatever, especially members of his party. That actually is helpful to the radicalization because it's the silence. It's the lack of shaming uh, of what is going on uh, and what what is happening to that party. But would, that the shaming, it. Yes. would the shaming yes. cut yes. down on the political Ima- violence? Imagine if McConnell had st- stuck to his, this is this is unacceptable right after January 6th. Imagine that world in which the party shunned the violence. It'd be a totally different world. And 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 yes, there's going to be outliers. There's going to be uh, people that are still violent, but they're not going to be supported by an apparatus that gives them legitimacy. Well, and I mean, that's today what, that's there, where we are. There are Republicans who are tweeting tweeting yeah. about this. Okay, yeah. so Vice President uh, Pence says, "quote This is an outrage, and our hearts are with the entire Pelosi family." We pray Paul will make a full recovery. There can be no tolerance for violence yeah. against public officials or their families. This man should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Yeah. Is a tweet enough? Well, 
it helps. I mean, the, the op- well, let me just say the opposite would be worse. And I think, um, but what we have to remember is this is one tweet does not mute what has been going on to Nancy Pelosi and towards Nancy Pelosi in, in the world that I follow, which is your, the radicalization world. She, more than Biden, has become the focal point. You could call it gender. You could, you know, maybe they're targeting her, but it, it is her. Uh, and it is uh, at the rallies, uh, at the Trump rallies, on social media, on True Social. It is Nancy Pelosi who's been the target. So where's Nancy? Yeah. Is it's a direct line from January 6th. That's oh, absolutely. The line we they were the, saying absolutely. at January 6th. They were yeah. chanting that. Yeah. They yeah. were chanting that. They were looking for yeah. her. Um, what, this is, I just yeah, want to follow up on one thing. The, this behavior has been normalized, right? And that's really, really dangerous. Meaning uh, political violence or just political well, rhetoric? Like- well, rhetoric that leads into violence, right? It's, 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 a, it's, a, um, it's a flash and a bang, right? So it's that rhetoric first that we see metastasizing and everyone it just accepts it. They allow it. We see it online. It, it just has fueled for years and years. And now it quickly leads into physical violence. We've seen it you know, affect politicians. We've seen it affect our societies. You, we, we think about how people have been radicalized that are you know, going into schools and synagogues and churches and killing everybody. And we have to do better. We have to do better. We have to take a different approach to, one, suppressing that type of ideology, that type of thinking. And we have to take a stronger stand against you know, domestic violent extremism, hate, everything that you know, uh, encompasses it, because this is the consequence. Right now, we're seeing it. All right, we'll talk more about that coming up. Stick around. Threats against lawmakers are skyrocketing, and federal officials warning today the danger could get worse with the midterms. So what is the answer? And are our political leaders condemning this loudly enough tonight? The attack on Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband in their San Francisco home is shocking Washington and the country. Are our leaders condemning political violence loudly enough tonight? Joining me now is former Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang. We also have Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz here and Republican strategist Doug High. Great to have you guys. Debbie. Oh, Congresswoman, I'm in. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, I am sure that this sent a shiver down your spine and down the spine of all lawmakers in Washington. What was the conversation you were having with colleagues today? I mean, just year after year after year, the political violence and the looming threat for members of Congress just doing their jobs, whether it's Gabby Giffords being shot in, at a community event that she was doing in 2011, to Steve Scalise at a, at a baseball game, to Nancy Pelosi's husband being attacked in their home. It, it's it's it's. I mean, I experienced it four years ago when 16 bomb packages were sent out across the country to CNN, to Democratic uh, electeds around the country with my return address and my district office return address on the packages. One came back to my office, sat with my staff, a bomb package that had to be detonated under the staircase, and my staff had that in the office for two days. I mean, it's just out of control. And it's only gotten worse. Let me tell you these statistics, um, Doug. So in 2016, there were 902 threats to members of Congress. As if that weren't bad enough, it has grown exponentially. Last year, 9,625. Yeah, and, and what started that spark? You know, it, it started in New York City when one person went down an escalator. And we saw the rhetoric that Donald Trump then exploded onto the scene that has been aped and and copied from acolytes, not your generic Republican member of Congress who 
maybe isn't loud enough in, in condemning that, but in activists and acolytes, the people who would love to go to the Trump Hotel uh, on a Friday night or a Wednesday night for that matter and hope to see, you know, all these, you know, kind of cast of the groovy ghoulies that were around the Trump world who spread and pushed this Wars kind bar. of, exactly, the Star Wars bar. You draw <laughs> a direct this. line between Donald Trump's entrance into the political world and that exponential growth. This is, the- this is the explosion. Did it precede Trump? Of course it did. You know, when Gabby Giffords was shot on a Saturday um, in either late 2010 or early 2011, um, that was predated Donald Trump. But the explosion has come because of him. And it's why, you know, I can't police what the other side can do. I can try and police what my side does. And I tell them constantly, you have to be vigilant in pushing back on this. And if you don't, we're no longer talking in theory. My concern about Donald Trump's rhetoric was that people were going to get hurt. That's not my concern anymore. People are going to get hurt. We've been lucky that no one's been killed yet. Um, This is exactly what um, Congressman Adam Kinzinger was saying today. Let me just play that for everyone. This is what happens when you convince a third of the country that the election was stolen and that the other side is an enemy. Uh, You otherize people. You, you, you know, convince folks that uh, your political opposition is out to get you and your family. So, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that every Republican needs to speak out on, just like every Democrat Republican should speak out when, uh, Steve Scalise was shot, but to the Republicans not speaking out now, let me say this. It's, this is, this is going to be visited on our side, not that it should actually matter uh, what side you're on, but uh, speak out now. So um, some did tweet today. I was just saying former Vice President Pence did tweet that this there's no tolerance for violence against public officials. He called it an outrage. But then there was um, somebody like Glenn Youngkin yeah. in Virginia who for a few seconds had some compassion for Nancy Pelosi and her family, and then immediately pivoted back to sort of partisan rhetoric. Here's that moment. Listen, Speaker Pelosi's husband, uh, they had a break-in last night in their house, and he was assaulted. There's no room for violence anywhere, but we're going to send her back to be with him in California. Couldn't resist. Well, the, the fact is America is more polarized than it's been in generations, where almost half of Democrats regard Republicans as corrupt and a threat to the country, and the same percentage of Republicans feel, feel uh, that way about the other party. Um, this is going to get worse, not better. Unfortunately, we know that after a few days of reflection, we'll probably see a return to the politics of, of vitriol uh, and demonization. We need structural reform like a shift to rank choice voting and nonpartisan primaries that would disempower the extremes that right now, unfortunately, control the, the incentives in at least one of our major parties and arguably both. Are those the answers? No. We need the rhetoric dialed down. We need elected officials to be responsible and immediately call out this violence, stop inciting the violence. We have people whose lives are being jeopardized. Paul Pelosi was bludgeoned with a hammer in his home by a right-wing extremist who is a QAnon subscriber. Who didn't you hear from today that you wanted to hear from? Well, I certainly didn't want to hear the governor of Virginia suggest that uh, we were going to send... Nancy Pelosi home, I mean, he should check the politics of her district before he assumes that, send her home to be with her husband. I mean, that, so what, he's being, he's being comforting as an aside, but then pulls out the political knife as soon as, uh, as, as, as soon as he's done with the sentence? It's outrageous. I mean, as Doug was saying, I think that uh, we've learned that um, Donald Trump doesn't come out in moments like this and he doesn't like to tamp it down. I think that we've learned that he often gins it up. But is there anybody who 
could come out on the Republican side and tamp it down besides him? Look, you've had a lot of elected officials on both sides, thankfully, say how outrageous it was. But of course, an attack on the speaker's husband is outrageous. Where are the attacks on the, where are the, where are the comments to dial down their supporters? In my district at home, the right-wing extremist MAGA volunteers are out at early voting sites, intimidating voters, intimidating campaign workers who are, who are on the other side supporting candidates, and scaring people away from the polls. That has to be called out. Doug, what's the it, it should be called out, and in Arizona as well. And yes, this happens on both sides. Lee Zeldin was attacked on stage in New York when he was campaigning as a Republican for governor. But I go back to my party. We have the original sin here starting into, in 2015, 2016. So who can speak out? I mean, again, if we're giving up on Donald Trump. Well, the problem is a lot of the right people can speak out, but it's, it's a question of whether or not that's going to be effective. Mike Pence said the right thing. Kevin McCarthy reached out to the Pelosi office. Those are the right things to do. Steve, Steve Scalise, who was a victim, has said the right thing. The problem is you can't say it once. You've got to say it over and over again and mean it, which means you're telling your supporters as well. Look, look the, the rhetoric is important and it matters. But the fact is, in social media, disinformation and negative sentiment spread six times more powerfully mm-hmm. and quickly than being positive. Uh, and again, the incentives right now are disproportionately empowering people on the extreme. There are politicians that are responding to that. It gets them money. It gets them fame. It gets them appeal. If you don't change the incentives, you're just going to see more and more of this. And that's what we've been experiencing over the last number of years. Trump was a catalyst for sure, but the trends have been building and they're just going to continue even after Trump recedes from the scene. And here's- you, need, you need stronger takedown policies on the part of social media companies for some of this extremist rhetoric that incites exponentially more of their supporters. These are exactly- Exactly the kind of structural fixes we should yeah. dig into. I, for one, am tired of saying, look, if we all said the right thing, then all of this would go away. It will not go right. away. It's here to stay. Allison, I've spent the last week re- reading Robert Draper's book, um, Weapons of Mass Delusion, which is a, a, a maddening and detailed takedown of where the Republican Party is these days. It, it, I put the book down and I use curse words and then I pick it back <laughs> up and I use more curse words. And it details systematically why what we see is not just a problem in Washington, D.C., but in state parties, in yes. county parties, right. on the precinct level. And it takes a top-down and bottom-up solution, which is really hard to do. But you, you see these structures working in a place like Alaska, where Lisa Murkowski bravely voted to impeach Donald Trump and made it back through the primary because they did away with the, the party primary and said anyone can vote for anyone. Sarah Palin loses in that primary for the same reason. We have to change the structures and the incentives or else we're going to reward bad behavior and we're going to see more of it. Really interesting. You guys stick around, please. We have a lot more to talk about. Uh, President Obama back on the trail tonight in Georgia. We'll tell you what he's saying about the attack on Speaker Pelosi's husband and his thoughts on Herschel Walker. That's next. Eleven days to go before the midterms and millions of Americans are taking advantage of early voting. President Biden and Vice President Harris in a rare joint appearance on the trail in Pennsylvania and former President Obama stumping in Georgia. Here's what he said about the attack on Speaker Pelosi's husband. And I want to take a moment just to say a prayer for a friend of mine, Mr. Paul Pelosi, who was attacked. A politics where 
where some in office or who aspired to office work to stir up division, to, to make folks as angry and as afraid of one another for their own advantage. And all of this has been amped up, hyped up, 24-7 on social media, on platforms that oftentimes find controversy and conflict more profitable than telling the truth. Back with me, Andrew Yang, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and Doug High. This is exactly what we were just saying. Can we just stop using social media? Uh, but then, then how, how would we find out about all of the, the thoughts of that random person? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I'm not asking this rhetorically, and I know this is a longer conversation that we don't have time for, but it does seem to be the root of a lot of our problems. And I'm not quite sure what to do about the vile underbelly of it yes. yet. So, the, so the, the, the Internet worldwide has been found to have uh, a negative correlation with democracy, where you're seeing it actually facilitate the backsliding into autocracy uh, internationally. There was a political scientist, Barbara Walter, who documented this. Foreign actors are taking advantage of it. It splintered the American consciousness into a thousand uh, different information silos and, and given people their own version of the facts. It's very hard to reintegrate that. That's what we're facing. I rest my case. <laughs> I rest my case. But it's also been more sobering and eye-opening about how much anti-Semitism, bigotry, mm-hmm. and hate there is that has been lurking in the shadows for so long yeah. and has been there all along. I it's, guess. I mean, yeah, yes, I, obviously, but it also lit the fuse for but that. But it can help us fight it. But, Yes, and we're going to, we actually are going to talk about that later in the show. But I do want to talk about President Obama being in Georgia and whether this changes the equation there. He talked a lot about Herschel Walker, who you know is running for Senate there. So here are some things that he had to say about that. Let's say you're at the airport and you see Mr. Walker and you say, hey, there's Herschel Walker, Heisman winner. Let's have him fly the plane. You probably wouldn't say that. You'd want to know, does he know how to fly an airplane? Seems to me he's a celebrity who wants to be a politician. And we've seen how that goes. Who will fight to keep you and your family safe? The Republican politicians who want to flood our streets with more guns? Who actually voted against more resources for our police departments? Is it somebody who carries around a phony badge and says he's in law enforcement? Like he's a kid playing cops and robbers? Or is it leaders like Reverend Warnock? All right, so President Obama seems to be having some fun with that there. Um, Doug, will that change anything? Well, that comment about police badges to me seems like an attack on Elvis Presley, and we can't let that stand. (laughs) Um, But... It it certainly is going to rev up the Democratic base, which needs to be revved up. What we've seen in so much of the polling is that Republicans are more enthusiastic about this election than Democrats. It could make a difference in that Senate election. It's not going to make one in that governor's election. I'm also surprised that we haven't seen uh, Obama or Biden or Harris in North Carolina. It's been a very close Senate race. Obama won it in 2008. He lost it in 2012, but it was the second closest state in the country each time. And it's a state that has really been forgotten in this campaign. Why aren't they going there? Well, this is, we got a lot of races. It's a big map. I mean, look at, by the way, it's not just Herschel Walker. It, this is, runs deep in their party. They, they nominate a TV doctor 
who really lives in New Jersey, to be their nominee for Senate in Pennsylvania, who thinks, actually, that perhaps your mayor should be deciding your, your reproductive health care decisions. I know you're referring to Dr. Oz. Um, yes, but back to my original point, do you think that uh, President Obama being there, when, he, when he, you say that it, it revs up the base, meaning it just helps voter turnout? Is that what, what we think? That President Obama is beloved by our base, beloved by Americans you know, on, on, on all across the spectrum. And so he is an incredible advocate for our candidates, for our agenda, I mean, he gave health care to 20 million more, more Americans. He contrasts that with the Republican candidates on the other side who are hell-bent on taking that away and, uh, and, and rolling back so much of our other progress, lowering prescription drug costs, making sure that we can get we got shots in arms, making sure that we continue to can turn this economy around and stop in, you know, cutting taxes for the wealthy. By the way, voter turnout already, early voter turnout in Georgia is off the charts, especially among African-American yes, yes. voters. We're yes. already seeing that. Yes. And we're ahead of Republicans in early vote across the country. Yes, and we'll see if, what that translates to, obviously, on Election Day. Uh, what do you think the—well, yeah, actually, before I ask you about uh, President Obama, it was Senate Majority Leader Schumer today who also talked about Georgia, but he wasn't intending to be heard. This was a hot mic moment where he was talking about what he thinks are the Democrats' weakening chances in Georgia. So here's that moment. It looks like the debate didn't hurt us as much in Pennsylvania as it did. So that's great. The state where we're, we'll see it. The state where we're going down now, it's hard to believe that they will go for the Okay, so basically, if you couldn't hear that, he said the state where we're going downhill is Georgia. It's hard to believe that they will go for Herschel Walker. He was talking to President Biden there. But that is what the polls are suggesting. I haven't seen any poll, I don't think, that has either Walker or Warnock above the 50% threshold needed to uh, avoid a, a runoff. I feel like they should be planning on visiting somewhere between Election Day and, and uh December 6th, when the runoff will be, when it'll just be Warnock versus Walker one-on-one, because right now there's a third candidate that's getting two to four percent. But I'm sure the senator has better numbers uh, than No, than I think you could be the, right. The, I mean, I think that he was just, I think he was speaking broadly, which is he can't believe that, that they're actually neck and neck. But can I just add, yeah. voters are voting. We're sort of done with polls, honestly. I mean, the voters are out there. Vote-by-mail ballots need to be turned in. Early votes are being cast. Election day is 11 days from now. The polls are very nice. But what matters is getting people out to the polls, and that's what's going to be the proof in the pudding. Yeah, I just think they have to do it again. What matters is election day. One that was never true, but it is certainly not true now when people are already voting throughout the country. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, no, I was just saying that we, we might be revisiting Georgia again after. Election. Yeah, good point for sure. Okay, thank you all very much. So frustrated lawmakers are looking for more security as threats to their families rise. Next, I'm going to speak with a lawmaker and his daughter who both faced threats after former President Trump came after him. Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband is expected to make a full recovery after being attacked by an intruder with a hammer in their home in the middle of the night. The alleged assailant was yelling, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Tragically, this appears to be a sign of the times with political violence and threats of it increasing. And our next guests have been on the receiving end of such threats. Pennsylvania State Senator Republican Jake Corman and his daughter Bella join me now. Guys, great to have you here in studio. Thank you. So Thank you, you are set to retire ne- at the end of next month yep. as you're the president pro tempore of the uh, Pennsylvania Senate. You've been in politics, I think, for 24 <laughs> years. You've obviously seen a lot. But is it safe to say nothing like what you saw after the 2020 
election when starting that night, you began getting, I guess, fervent calls for you to take some action. Yeah, I mean, uh, after the 2020 election, it was probably one of the craziest times. You just sort of came away from COVID, which was crazy. And then you get into the 2020 election and uh, uh, the calls that we got, I, you know, first was sort of the left, like, don't you dare interfere in this race. And then when we didn't interfere, we got a ton from the right. Uh, and some of them, you know, were obviously very uh, threatening uh, on both sides. And so it was, you know, for someone who has a family, I have a daughter and two sons, it was it was disturbing. I can imagine. And so these calls continued through the holidays. I mean, from Election Day through Christmas, mm-hmm. through New Year's, and then uh, all the way through, I guess, June, when President Trump then tweeted this about you. Why is State Senator Jake Corman of Pennsylvania fighting so hard that there not be a forensic audit of the 2020 presidential election scam? Corman is fighting as though he were a radical left Democrat. Then what happened in terms of threats to you and your family? Uh, you know, we got more protests, uh, more calls. You know, obviously those people like the president who have, you know, a wide social media following when they speak, that uh, generates people uh, to, to act, uh, unfortunately, and sometimes. And so, we, you know, we got a lot of calls and, and we had some demonstrations around our home and, and things like that. I didn't have it nearly as bad as some others did. Speaker Cutler had thousands go to his house. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, when you have young children, it's, uh, you know, I actually got a, 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 a email from somebody or and said, you know, I know where you live. I, I know where your kids go to school. You know, I know where you walk your dog, which made me feel better because I don't really walk my dog. So, but <laughs> nevertheless, when you get something like that as a father, that's uh, about as scary as it gets. Bella, what were those months like for you? Yeah, it was a time of turmoil, especially in my community. I think hearing my friends and my friends' families prepare to do this whole kind of riot outside our house, and they did a little bit of a drive around honking their horns. Meaning even former friends of yours were suddenly attacking your family. Yeah, it was something that I was so surprised to hear, and like, it was something that I never thought their uncles, their parents would just completely disregard my humanity and my family's Mm -hmm. life, and just thinking that is something that they could turn on you so quickly over politics kind of blows my mind, and as I believe I was in um, I was in my senior year of high school. It was really hard. And then someone doxed your address, meaning put your address out on the internet. And then what happened? Yeah, I believe that was a Facebook group chat. I remember talking to one of my dad's colleagues about this before, um, prepared kind of a Facebook group saying we're going to go out and protest in front of the senator's house. And we were lucky to know about it beforehand that we got out of town because I remember my youngest brother who definitely has... Um, taken a lot of it in uh, internally about the comments said about my dad. He was looking outside the window, just kind of waiting and seeing if anything would happen. And we were truthfully scared in that moment. Basically, you had to flee your home. Essentially, we just didn't want to be around for a moment like that. We, I remember we put up signs saying no trespassing. I mean, and yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah, we put up no trespassing signs. And they just drove around the block as they said yeah, that they were going nothing. to do. But you but were they yelling? The I mean, were they doing They were beeping, beeping their the horns. horns. And um, I, some, I think some of our neighbors asked us what was going on and what was happening. But um, thankfully, nothing um, violent actually happened. And I couldn't imagine those circumstances. But luckily, we uh, left town. There are reports that the suspect in the Paul Pelosi attack had posted links on his Facebook page to multiple videos of Mike Lindell, who, as you know, is the pillow salesman who believes all of these conspiracy theories. How dangerous do you think people like that are to public safety? Well, I think, look, everyone that tries to inspire people to act in a, in a violent way are obviously very dangerous. And, and, you know, a whole conversation dealing with the Internet and social media is, to me, where it has elevated this into a whole new world. Uh, when you can, with just, you know, one click of the button, 
uh, inspire thousands of people to do you know uh, things that are violent. That's that's a scary that's a scary place for this country. And I think it's something that you know because it's unregulated. Uh, I think it's high time that we, you know, I will soon be a former government official. We take a look at how to regulate this because this is an explosion that if you don't, and it's just in the hands of public where people anonymously can do these sort of things, um, I, I think inspires violence. And I think it's something the government needs to take a look at. And Senator, ultimately, you did decide to launch an audit of the 2020 election in Pennsylvania. Absolutely. Was that because of all of the pressure you were getting? Well, it's not really an audit. It was an investigation. And my thought was, you know, sunshine's always a good thing. And so if you go do an investigation and if you don't find anything, that dispels uh, a lot of the, uh, the conspiracies. And if you find things that can inspire change to, to give people more confidence, that's a good thing as well. So I thought the more sunshine we showed on our process to see exactly what happened in, 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 in that nature, that would be a positive. I think the only unfortunate um, aspect of that we were talking about um, couple months back is that despite the investigation what the outcomes were, people were already set on their minds. And even if we would have came out with substantial evidence to either way, people already had their minds met up because they went in with this this whole entire time. Such a great point. And so, Bella, you still consider yourself a Republican. What is the answer for this level of political rhetoric and violence and extremism for your generation? You know, I actually have a lot of hope in my generation. I I go to college and I'm in a predominantly liberal area um, in Philadelphia. And I'm so open-minded to hear other people's perspectives. And that's what I think we need. I think we need open-mindedness. I think people need to understand other people's um, circumstances and their perspectives, because at the end of the day, you have to put yourself in someone else's shoes. I think that I, as a Republican on my campus, I was definitely scared at first to um, reveal that ideology because I didn't want people to put backlash against me. But now I've joined multiple political groups on campus. And truthfully, they're pretty proud that I have a different stance and that they could talk to me in those um, aspects. So I think that is what we need open-mindedness. I'm really comforted, by the way, whenever I talk to somebody in your generation, because it it gives me hope because it doesn't seem like you guys are heading in the same direction. Um, And and so, Senator, you did launch a run for governor, but you Mm -hmm. bowed out when I guess Doug Mastriano seemed to be gaining some Mm -hmm. steam. Um, I know there's no love lost, I guess, between you two. Probably fair. But but do you think his positions represent where most people? Pennsylvanians are? Uh, well, you know, the, if you believe the polling, that'd probably be a no. Uh, obviously, polling's not 100% accurate, but, uh, um, you know, he's going to have a, a, a race here in a, in a couple days or a couple weeks to finally make a decision. Um, but, uh, you know, my concern why I got in the race and why I ultimately got out of it was to find a Republican candidate who has a lot of the values that I have that ultimately could win in the fall, knowing that Josh Shapiro would be a very well-funded, a very articulate, very good candidate, and we needed to put our best up there, not someone who only appeals to a fringe of, of the party. We needed someone who could, who could cross over to independents and Democrats alike, and that's why I got out to back someone else who maybe had a better chance. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, but, you know, Doug's our, our candidate, and we'll see how he does. Bella, any thoughts? Um, as a moderate Republican voter in Pennsylvania, I definitely was hoping to see my dad <laughs> um, in the spot because I really think he has a really open mind and moderate views on the stances that I believe in, too. Um, it's unfortunate to see the Republican Party nominate someone I don't necessarily agree with down the line. Um, I hope to see a Republican governor in the future, and potentially we'll see what happens on November 8th. But um, we had a governor for the last eight years as a Democrat, and I would definitely like to see some um, change. There. Uh, Bella and Senator, thanks so much for sharing your personal story with us. Thank we you. really appreciate Thank it. So Interesting to hear both generations' <laughs> take on this. All right, tell me what you think about the tense political atmosphere that we're living in right now in this country. You can tweet me at Allison Camerata, and we'll be right back, and I'll read your tweets later on in the program. 
October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and each year in the U.S., roughly 264,000 women are diagnosed with breast cancer, and 42,000 women die from the disease. Back with me is Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 41 years old, but is now happily cancer-free. Yes. But you're here to sound the alarm. Even though things have improved, breast cancer rates have improved, but in the past couple of years, something alarming has happened. So since COVID, 80% of women skipped their mammograms that were over 40 years old, and even higher rate for women of color. And we know that when that happens, we have cancers that are coming down the pike that are going to be detected at a later stage, more complicated. And the difference between someone who catches breast cancer early, the survival rate is 90% versus around 66% when it's caught at a later stage. That's such an important number. I mean, I think that for many women, getting a mammogram can be so anxiety provoking. It is not a fun experience, for sure. But it is an absolute necessity for a woman 40 or 40 years or older. I was 41 years old, like you said. I had just had my first mammogram. It came back clean, except for some calcifications, which not, you know, no, no evidence of cancer. But that raised my antenna. And I did self, a self-exam in the shower a few months later. And I found a lump that had not been there before. And I read, um, Congresswoman, that you went through your cancer struggle for 15 months without really telling anyone. Yeah. And was that, did that make it harder or easier? You know, it, it made it easier for me, for my family, because my kids were really little. Uh, they, the twins were nine. My little one was four. And cancer's a really scary thing. I was having my surgeries and everything in D.C. and Everyone they knew that, or anyone they heard, ever heard of that, about cancer, they associated with death. And I knew I was going to be okay because it was caught early, but I didn't want to worry them. And I also didn't, you want to, you lose control of everything or you feel like you do. So I wanted to make sure that I was more than cancer and not in a tagline, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who's currently battling breast cancer. So yeah. that what- was important for me. Yeah, I understand. Um, when you were uh, texting me to say that you wanted to come on and talk about breast cancer, you said that you were going to act as my Jewish mother yes. and prod me to get yes. a mammogram, which yes. I did. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you very um, much. And, <laughs> um, but the point is, is that it does take some reframing. If you're somebody who's, who is very um, anxious about it, which I am, mm-hmm. uh, it does take some reframing, which I tried to do, and it really helped, um, which is basically, this is how you detect it early. That's right. So when you go in for mammograms, sometimes you think, oh, no, this is where bad news happens. In fact, it's the opposite. The opposite. Exactly. You need to go and get your mammogram. If you do it annually, starting at 40 years old, they have a baseline. They know they can see on the scan what's normal for you. They're more likely to be able to t- detect it. If every few years you do it, they don't, ha- they don't have a consistent view of what you look like. And then on top of that, you should do breast self-exam you know, once a month so that you know what's normal for you, so you th- that you know when something feels different. That's how I found my lump. I knew pretty much what I normally felt like, and when I, when I felt the lump, which was right, right about here, it was less than half a centimeter. Mm. I was so lucky that I could feel it. It felt like the end of a, that ball on the end of a jack, mm. you know, like when you play jacks? Yeah. That's what it felt like. It was hard, and it was really small, and I had my husband feel it, and then I just went right to the doctor three days later, and they had trouble seeing it. But they saw something, and I, they said, let's, have a, let's do a biopsy because we, uh, or let's, 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 let's take a little bit of it. And came back, it even came back clean initially in the frozen section. Uh-huh. 
And then three days later when they did the pathology and it came back, it was breast cancer. And here you are all of these yeah. years later, healthy, Almost 15 free. years. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so obviously you're living proof of uh, early detection and... And young women can and do get breast cancer. That's so critical yeah. for people to know and for doctors to know because doctors are often dismissive of young women when they come with them with a problem. It presents differently for young women. So make sure you go get your mammogram and do self-exam. Thanks so much. Early detection is the key. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm Yes. All right. Congresswoman, <laughs> thanks thank so you. much thank for you being for having here. me on. Thanks for sharing your story. All right. Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, as you know, was attacked today in their home. This is the same day that the feds warned about domestic violent extremists and how they pose a threat to the midterms. So what are we doing about all of this? That's next. The midterms are just 11 days away, and conspiracy theories, misinformation, and lies are flourishing. On the same day as the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband, the alleged attacker, as you know, was shouting, where is Nancy? Federal officials warning that domestic violent extremists are a growing threat to the midterm elections and beyond. Here to talk about all of this, we have CNN political commentator Errol Lewis with us, also Kara Swisher, host of the On with Kara Swisher and Pivot podcasts, and CNN chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst John Miller. Great to see all of you guys. John, I know you have some great reporting on what happened with this attack, how it went down. How did the attacker get into the Pelosi's home? Do we know that yet? So he entered through the rear yard where they have the uh, the large French doors. Um, they're still reviewing the videotapes, uh, but there's a, an assumption that the hammer was also used as an entry tool. He came in, we think, with the hammer. Yeah. And uh, again, they're, they're going back over the videotapes. But uh, I've asked a, a few times, was the hammer in the house and something that got picked up? Or do we believe he brought the hammer? And they believe he brought the hammer. The, the really, the part of this that, you know, is kind of the movie version is how police get summoned. Agreed. Because uh, as I understand it, and I think this is from your reporting, Paul Pelosi had the presence of mind to dial 911 and then just not talk, just leave it sort of an open call. So I've learned a little more about that, which is he actually he actually engages in a conversation with the operator, which is very stilted. There's this person in the house, so on and so forth. And the operator is trying to glean this about where are we going here. And at one point, um, Heather Grimes, the 911 dispatcher, says, sir, are you OK? And he says, no. I'm not. And the training these operators have, a lot of this comes from domestic violence, where the offender is there and, you know, uh, somebody's calling and they're trying to get the message across that I really need somebody. So she takes that wellness call, call, makes it a category A with a code three response, puts out on the MDT so those cops are reading the job. Exactly what was said, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but they're getting a sense that something's not right here and that this is the residence of Nancy Pelosi. So when they come through the door, there's these two men holding the hammer, and they're basically saying, okay, to both of them, put down the hammer, and Mr. Pelosi, Paul, let's go of the hammer, and, and the other guy strikes him immediately, the suspect, and then they cross the room and tackle the suspect. The rest is history, but that phone call... He was very cool and managed to get the message across to save his own life. And the 911 operator 
was very intuitive to figure out this is worse than it sounds. Yes, and the police chief, in fact, credited her today in the press conference saying that he felt that her actions were life-saving, that she was so intuitive about all that. As an aside, I know you've been to that home. I know that you know the Pelosi's. I'm sure this is shocking. Uh, it's shocking. Paul is a is a is a cool customer. He really is. He's a lovely guy, and he's he's a big man. He's also a big man and very fit. Um, and I can see him being very calm in a situation like that. And the house, I'm also perplexed. It's an area of San Francisco that's quite protected um, near the uh, Presidio, and it's it's pretty surprising. And it's a very quiet area. It's a, it's a wealthy area. Um, that's, it, I, I can only imagine they could get around back. There's a lot of woods back there for the Presidio and things like that. So I'm not it's sure. Just, I mean, it's shocking on every level. Absolutely. Although, Errol, that said, maybe we shouldn't be shocked since we are, you know, 11 days away from the midterms. Things couldn't be hotter and more overheated. And there's so much um, vile political rhetoric that we've seen does lead to political violence. That's exactly right. We have a a system that allows for and encourages even through algorithms this kind of hatred to sort of feed on itself and spread virally and and, and end up everywhere. So it's no surprise, sadly, to find out that this person has been posting conspiracy rants and all kinds of stuff for 15 years. And for Facebook to finally pull down the page today, literally too late, uh, we're in commercial media right now. If somebody comes on, whether it's your podcast or my show or your show, you know, you give them a little bit of room and then you either shut them down or you go to a commercial. I mean, you do not let this stuff just fester and spread. And it's a question, an important question that Facebook has never answered and for which they really have to be held accountable. How about that, Kara? Well, I, you know, I think it all just takes one person to jump off the page and that's it. This, this constant rhetoric of hate that keeps escalating, which has been encouraged by leaders by not saying anything, by the lead, the political leaders have not stepped up the way they should by condemning things. You saw what Glenn Young and the Virginia Governor he had said. about two seconds of he feeling compassion, and then he reverted it right was, to political it rhetoric. It was so uh, heinous. I don't know what else to say. It was appalling for, to do that, especially in the moment. And so it, it only takes one person to, to go down these highways of amplification and weaponization of all this information and then move into the real world. And it doesn't, you don't need more than one. And you see, you saw it at January 6th, these same cries, where's Nancy was during the insurrection. Oh, absolutely. Verbatim. But when we see his social media, what Mm -hmm. what we believe to be this suspect social media, he has Mike Lindell, you know, famous Trump ally, pillow salesman, spouting complete garbage and nonsense Mm -hmm. about the election. He has um, January 6th. I mean, he has all, all the usual suspects. Yeah. All the usual suspects. And so can Facebook shut something like that that down? I mean, he wasn't making direct threats. I, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily blame Facebook. I think you can say, um, I mean, it shouldn't be up there, right? It just, it just is allowed to fester. And I think what happens is some people actively now believe this. They become propaganda. It's propaganda. We should stop using anything but propaganda is what's happening here. And it's effective. It's, histor- history has shown us propaganda is yes. can lead to deadly results. And radicalization. I mean, basically, yes. that's what it is, John, as you well know. Would leaders speaking out more vociferously in your experience of dealing with crime for all these decades, would that help shut it down? Well, it's an interesting question because the, the question is, is the, is the audience waiting for cues? And one lesson we learned is we saw Donald Trump tweet out on January 6th, OK, pack up and go home. And we saw the films of everybody looking at their social media and said, he says to go home, and they all went home. So we know they're waiting for cues. Uh, The question is, how many people have the moral authority within Mm -hmm. the genre of people who think this way to give those cues? And you you notice that the NYPD, 
put out an intelligence bulletin the day before, well, actually yesterday uh, it, it came out publicly, but it went out last week to police agencies saying, expect violence, expect trouble, and be on guard for it, but here's why. And they point to a lot of things, but including the 261-page, the hard reset document that went out on the site Terrorgram, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a right-wing uh, extremist chat room, that said, attack political meetings, attack political leaders, uh, attack law enforcement um, on multiple levels, including violence, shootings, and so on. So, you know, Facebook is nothing. I mean, there are yep. virulent places out there where they're getting cues. I mean, what, and what unites all of this is that something has to be done, right? I mean, pretending that maybe it'll go away or we'll wait until there's an overt act, that, that doesn't work. If we know where this is heading, and we've seen it happen over and over and over again in a lot of different contexts, um, it's up to the leadership to, to try and figure out what it is to say, to take away some of those cues. I mean, one thing that would certainly work, it would have worked even, I think, a little bit on January 6th, is if they knew that they would be met with opprobrium across the board, that everyone from the left to the right, everybody in between, every, uh, every uh, uh, commercial broadcaster would say, this is beyond the pale, this is disgusting, we're all united in saying that this has no place. Instead, you have a sitting governor who turns it into a big joke, right? And says, oh, well, we're going to send her back home. Ha, ha, ha. The wrong signal at the wrong time. Beyond Donald Trump, who we know will not uh, intervene to try to tamp it down, who else would be effective in stepping up and saying something? Well, I mean, to me, it's everyone. I mean, if you, if you look across the board, who came out with statements today? Were they grudging? Were they, you know, sort of printed? Were they, well, they were only tweeted. in response I mean, some to... some of them right. were tweeted. Does that work? I mean, is that good enough? That's not how it works. I mean, you know, you, 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 you line up on the steps of the Capitol, uh, you know, and you alternate Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, people who opposed each other. Everybody does it. And you say it clearly and you say it forcefully and you say it meaningfully. We do not support violence. It has no place. We will, we will unite around this and we will take any steps necessary to prevent this from continuing. Is that the answer? No. I'm sorry. I think we've gone way too far because online, uh, there was so much uh, information desert for so many people, and now they're being flooded with bad information. People that didn't use any of the mainstream media have found a place. And you could see it happening at the very days, early days of the Internet as they finally found people that agreed with them and started to, to join and trade things. And when you live in these information bubbles, it's very dangerous because you don't get other points of view. I think, you know, all of us have relatives that have moved into that information bubble and it's very hard to get them out of it. And so that's the difficulty is when it's constantly being reinforced to you and this is the news to you, it is the news. And therefore, in some sick, twisted way, they think they're doing something good and they must act. Listen, it happened at Pizzagate. Um, it happened at the Capitol and it happened here. John, are police ready for the midterms? Uh, certainly in New York they are. Uh, we talked about the planning yesterday with over a thousand election sites, but there are places that don't have those kind of resources. And, um, you know, that's going to be a challenge. But I think the intel is out there. I think the NYPD message yesterday uh, that went out the week before. I also think that the federal government, DHS, you know, FBI messages that are going out today are going to underline that. And as we learned from January 6th, that's something that needs to, the big picture threat needs to be in the hands of law enforcement so that chiefs and sheriffs across the country know what they're dealing with. Guys, thank you all very much. Really uh, insightful. We want to know what you think about this. Are conspiracy theories and election lies 
fueling all of this fire or even political violence days before the midterms? You can tweet me at Alison Camerata. Well, $44 billion later, Elon Musk now owns Twitter. Musk announcing today he'll form a content moderation council with diverse viewpoints and no major content or reinstatement decisions will happen before that council convenes. Errol Lewis and Kara Swisher are back with us. We also have CNN contributor Carrie Champion joining us. Great to have all of you. Well, uh, in the 24 hours since Elon Musk has owned Twitter, uh, racist tweets have proliferated. Here are some choice and revolting examples to read for you. Uh, Elon now controls Twitter. Unleash the racial slurs. Uh, K-words, N-words, said one account using slurs for Jews and black people. Next, I can freely express how much I hate N-words now. Thank you, Elon. Another tweet showing a video montage glorifying Nazi Germany with the comment, I hear that there have been some changes around here. It was liked more than 400 times. One tweet showing a single racial slur in all capital letters was retweeted more than 700 times and liked more than 5,000 times. What's that about? They like Elon. I don't know what to say. I mean, they think that Elon is going they to think, have they a think free that. for all? Yeah, that it's now, he, well, he said the bird is freed, right? Mm-hmm. Except a second later he said, we're having a content moderation thing, which is probably because advertisers are like, see ya. And if the bird is that free and it becomes, uh, it turns into this, nobody wants to be near that as a business. And so um, it's a very difficult uh, walk he's going to have to walk here. Yeah, I think well, one major advertiser, GM, GM. Uh, said, you know, we're we're going to we're going to take a wait and see approach, yeah. and there will be others. There, there's even been talk, and I saw it on Twitter, of a sort of a mass resignation uh, c- campaign that people are considering, just walking away from the platform. Which, which it might, if it if if it's going to be that kind of a sewer, yeah. no responsible person. And and look, frankly, it was mostly news people, politicians, and so forth who were using that platform as opposed to some of the other ones. But no, no one's going to put any quality content in that sewer. And if, if Elon Musk wants to run a sewer, good luck to him. I'm so glad you're pointing that out. And I do want to get to what our personal responsibility is here in a minute. But first, Gary, you were on last night telling us about that it's already a cesspool at times for you. When you tweet certain content or at certain people, it's already happening. I, I, I said here last night that if I go decide that I want to support Brittany Griner or anyone that is in a marginalized community, the responses are vile. Um, and it depends on where we're at. And what was interesting, because last night after I said that, I also got these responses. You're such a liar. No one uses those type of words. That's ridiculous. And here we are less than 24 hours later. And exactly, exactly what I said would happen has Mm -hmm. happened. Here's the thing. Twitter can be a good place. It's a Mm -hmm. good place to aggregate news. It's a good place to to laugh, discover voices. You can, I, and I'm not kidding. I use, it's how you use it, but it's very irresponsible in the sense that for, we allow him to decide what free speech is. And I knew that would happen. I knew people would come out of the woodwork. They're waiting for that. Here's what's the sad part. We're going to have to decide how we want to give our intelligence, our, our, our information on social media. Mm-hmm. I, I told you I was a fan of yours. Mm-hmm. I watch you. I listen. I pay attention. I'm like, this is great. This is what Twitter is really for. But unfortunately, we live in a time that is so polarizing. People, everyone feels entitled to an opinion. And whether it's bots or whether it is someone that is actually at home and miserable and does not want to hear about Brittany Griner or the election or who you think you should uh, support, there are people out there who are determined 
determined to let us know that we are not welcomed. And I'm talking about, when I say we, I'm saying the marginalized. It is so targeted. I don't have the time to go on Twitter and block everybody. I don't have the energy yeah, for course. that. And you like part of it. I mean, the problem that he has really is a business problem. That's really at the heart of it is he's going to owe big debt. He's paid way too much for this, about three times more than it's actually worth. worth yeah. The very big companies, Meta and um, uh, Meta and Google, Alphabet, had a terrible quarter. And they're good at making money at this stuff. The question is, if he, if he doesn't make it into a good business, it doesn't matter how rich he is. Ultimately, it'll fail as a business. And then it's what it is. He can keep it going if he feels like it, or he can lose billions and they, of dollars. And the easiest way to clean it up and maybe even make some money at it is to do what they do for the blue check members. Make sure that everyone has a name and an address and that that, that the anonymous hate that people can do by proliferating all kinds of, you know, and even automate that process and send swarms very of difficult. anonymous yeah, fake accounts all very, attacking Very difficult people. to do. I think the issue is, look, TikTok is eating everybody's lunch. It doesn't yeah. really matter. And people are over there because they enjoy it. Now, there are problems on TikTok. But the issue is, can he come up with ideas, a subscription? Well, if he's going to do a subscription, do I really want to, like, have people yell at me it's <laughs> like going to a restaurant of someone vomit on your shoes every time. So that, that, can he do that for me? Can I? Can he bring the enjoyable parts out? But can he? Can't he clean up the garbage now? Does no, he need a no. content? Why? No. Why can't we clean up the garbage? It's it's impossible. Possible. It's impossible yeah. to try to referee that. You yeah. don't know where it is. It's it's too. It's bigger than. It's actually bigger than what he can actually control. That's like right. it is. It's it's. it's extremely difficult to navigate through that. So I mean, if that's true, the content. Uh, whatever he's signing up, the, the content uh, decision makers, uh-huh. is that going to work? It took Facebook two years to put together the thing, and it's still pretty ineffective. Their oversight, it's, it's the oversight board. You have to do it with great thoughtfulness, and even then it doesn't work. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's fine, but it's not, this is, this is, this is, a, this is a tsunami of hatred. And, well, Meta, as they yeah. say, they yeah. created the bulletin to, to remember the bulletins mm-hmm. to combat what people were saying that was what they call was hate speech. I know they asked me to start writing to basically try to, I, I guess, mediate what they already had on there, which was hate speech. They went right. to a, a group of writers, marginalized writers, people from different communities to get different voices on Meta, and it still didn't work. Yeah, they yeah. had to stop. It didn't work. Yeah. And so that leads me to the question that I alluded to earlier, which is, what is our personal responsibility? If there's all of this garbage and vulgar, vile stuff, at what point do those of us who use Twitter need to say, no mas, we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to leave the site. I think yeah. a lot of people I mean, are saying that yeah, right I mean, now. I, I think that's yeah. right What's where we're headed. Yeah. You know, after this last event of the last 24 hours, I'm thinking to myself, it's like, why would I put anything in the middle of this garbage? You know, if they, if they don't take it seriously, if they don't have a serious approach, if there's going to be, you know, kind of a, a, a wink and a smile and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of bogus talk about free speech mm-hmm. as, a, as a cover for all of this, are there going to be more of these swarms of anonymous bots that are attacking democracy itself? There's no way I want to be part of that. How long are you going to give it? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a wait and see approach. I'm yeah. going to follow I'm, your lead. I'm, yeah. I'll do whatever I Here's the irony of all the people I would pick in Silicon Valley to be able to do something interesting with this. It, it is Elon Musk. Big user, loves the product used it for marketing, enjoys being a meme lord, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And when he's funny, he is funny. Like, he yeah, I agree. Be. I agree. But then he's not sometimes. And that's the way he is. And look, he should be able to do what he wants. He hasn't necessarily crossed lines yet. Mm. He's tasteless. tasteless. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think he is, and this is not a... Um, 
it's not a disrespectful thing, but I think he is someone who is trying to poke the bear or whatever bear that Contrary. is. He just wants to be that way. And yeah. I am not in the, I don't think there are people who create great content and they give it away for free on Twitter. And if someone could actually find a new platform for them to give out great content, because I'm a genius. Mm-hmm. And when I tweet, obviously, <laughs> clearly, and when I tweet, I don't know if I should give it to Twitter. I don't think right. they deserve it. I think there are people who legitimately, right. I'm being funny, obviously, but I, there are people who legitimately feel that way. Right. If there was another platform where they can go and give their content without harassment, without feeling like this is an issue, without feeling as if they're glorifying his product that he doesn't necessarily take seriously, they will do that. Absolutely. TikTok. I'm yeah. sorry. That, yes. I mean, again, let's leave I mean, aside the Chinese yes. ownership for a yes. second. But yes. it's a beautiful product in that regard. Yeah. And there's problems on it. Are you on TikTok? Are you I, dancing I on no. Are you doing anything? Yes, of the, I'm dancing yes, on TikTok. Can you start I dancing I, on TikTok? No, okay. I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I, I feel like yeah. age... Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, I, get, I get it. I get it. I, I disagree. It. I, I disagree. I, 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 I have a huge I, audience for that. Yeah, you dancing. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. But I'm going to follow all of your leads. You guys tell me. By when the way, he just bought the company, so perhaps we'll see what he does. Yeah. We'll see. This see. is a lot. Uh, he spent a lot of money on it, so we'll see. So what maybe happens. he's emotionally invested in it. All right. Thank you guys for the great conversation. Of One of the highest profile celebrity couples announcing that they are ending their marriage. We talk about where it went wrong next. It's official. Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen announcing today that they've finalized their divorce after 13 years of marriage. Supermodel Bündchen says she and Brady have grown apart. And in an interview with Elle magazine last month, she talked about Brady's decision to unretire as a star quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after announcing his retirement last winter. We're back again with Errol Lewis, Juliet Kayyem, and Carrie Champion. Carrie, give us the real scoop. Is this really about um, that he just chose football over his family? I, I think for years, I, I think Giselle has been very patient. And I think that she has been probably more subdued than she has wanted to be in terms of her personality. Um, there's been a history of her being very vocal about what Tom is up to. There was the time in which she went on CBS and accidentally said... He suffers from concussions all the time, and that was breaking news. You're not supposed to say that. He's never been on the, the injury report list for a concussion. There are times when she's complained about other people complaining about him, and she was overheard. My point being is that she has been exhausted being his wife in terms of this football career. He retired because he promised her, from my understanding, that this was it. When he unretired, she was like, "What? your family or me? This is what we're hearing. For, and, and by the way, people like Tom Brady, this is not a subjective opinion, he's the greatest in football. He's a GOAT. People like Tom Brady are in love with what they do. Nothing gives them more pleasure. Nothing can give them that adrenaline rush. You love your family, but you love what you do. I remember Michael Jordan once said, "Um, I love my wife. This is when he's at the peak of his career. But my wife really, truly is basketball. And I'm paraphrasing. And people know that. When you are with these greats, these people who have an, an innate ability unlike any other, and they are generational talents, you have to understand the sacrifices that they make. And sometimes they can't even walk away from that. Tom doesn't think he can retire. He's 
She's 45 years old. Not to mention, I'm on my high horse right now. <laughs> Keep going, girl. <laughs> Keep going. I'm so enjoying yeah. this. I can't tell you. But let's just... I never have fun on this. <laughs> let me tell you something. Tom, I, I casually joked with my friends today. I was like, what do you think Giselle's group chat is like? Yeah. Because he has not won a game, and he hasn't had this bad of a start since his, the beginning of his career. So you're thinking... You think she's taking a victory lap? Yeah, she's yeah. like, Tom, I told you. Yep. Well, you should have stayed your butt at home. I was your superpower. <laughs> um, well, I mean, and you know the other thing is there's so many pictures of her on the field after a win. She's she optically she was so supportive of, of his football career. I mean, I, we'll get to them in a second, but she's you know they're kissing after every one of his Super Bowl wins. Yeah. And then at some point, enough was enough, I guess, Errol. Um, yeah. And she, I mean, I think she sure. was vocal about it. She said here in the Elle magazine, she said. I've done my part, which is to be there for Tom. I moved to Boston, and I focus on creating a, a cocoon and a loving environment for my children to grow up in and to be there supporting him and his dreams, seeing my children succeed and become the beautiful little humans that they are, seeing him succeed and being fulfilled in his career. It makes me happy. But at this point in my life, I feel like I've done a good job at that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and by the way, he's not the only one in that relationship who is hard charging and married mm-hmm. to the work, right? Yeah. This is somebody who's been working since she was 13 years old. If you believe any of the celebrity stuff that you can find online, they're worth combined something like three quarters of a billion dollars, billion with a B. Mm-hmm. And she has more than he yeah. does. Is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, so this is... This is somebody who's been extremely patient, and, mm-hmm. and that probably factors into this a little bit. And I also thought, um, Juliet, that it was interesting what he said on Howard Stern. He said there were a couple of years ago mm-hmm. that she didn't feel like I was doing my part for the family. She mm-hmm. felt like I would play football all season, and she would take care of the house, and then all of a sudden, a season would end, and I'd be like, great, let me get into all my other business activities. Let mm-hmm. me get into my football training. And she's sitting there going, well, when are you going to do things for the house? When are you going to take the kids to school? That was a big part of our marriage that I had to check myself. Because she's like, I have goals and dreams, too. And you better start taking care of things at the house. That was in 2020. Yeah. Two years later, he didn't fulfill that no. that uh, side and, of the and, bargain. And I, ta- I take issue with her comment, I had to move to Boston. That's like where I live. I'm like, it's, not, it's not that bad. You it's know? crazy. Like, I'm so sorry. It's not Rio. I get it. But, um, you know, no, look, I mean, I. it's so fun being here, by the way. But yes, I... Uh, no, the, uh, being from New England, I, I am I am Team Giselle on this one. Really? Uh, even though everyone will hate me back at home because uh, he's so popular. I, look, he he said in the last two weeks, you know, um, go playing for the NFL, of which he makes a, you know more money than God, uh, is like going to war. Something is wrong here. His sense of of sort of an appropriate and an appropriate exit, right? You know, I mean, you want to leave at a certain time. I mean, here we are with with you know, people dying in Ukraine and, yeah. and our military going to war, and you're you know the, you know crime. This divorce is sad. There are children involved, and so the pity party is sort of we're, yeah. it's a little bit much. But I take Terry's point that it is his identity. It's That's so it. he can't leave it. It's it's so it's not That's his it. career. It's his identity. And he and and anyone who knows him, I, I remember many a times we interview people who play with him, who played for him. Like Thomas, competitive of any. If we were playing ping pong, he'd be like, "I've got to win." If yeah. we're if we're playing cards, I have to win. His the level he is the ultimate competitor, and he doesn't see anything wrong. If he still feels like he's upright and he can throw that ball, he wants to play, and it's an obsession that I mean, I can't even understand it. I, we can't get inside of his mind, and I think for her, she tried, as she said, she tried, and she and you talk about how much they're worth. It's yes, it is mostly her money. She's like, "We don't need your little change, honey." Less <laughs> <laughs> nine million dollar like, contract. Just, you know, exit grace. I mean, when you think about, it, he could have stayed retired, 
the marriage wouldn't have imploded as publicly and everyone would have remembered it. Everyone remembers your last day, you know, and you sort of think about, you know, sort of these, these this season for yeah. him and, and what's imploding publicly. Oh. Yeah, why is he doing better? I mean, wh- I, look, what's going we, wrong this season? I could, I could easily say that it's because of what he's dealing with. That's an easy thing. I think Tom is not in a good place in terms of his teammates and, and who he has in his support system. He needs more help. It's not easy to do what he has been able to do. It's not easy. To, that's why there's only 16 games in the regular season. It is difficult to go in Sunday or Monday and win each single time you have the ball. It is the hardest thing to do in football because it's taxing on your body. They implement it where he doesn't have to. He gets two days off as a to one day off because he's older. I mean, they're making many changes for this man, but I want you to understand how obsessed he is. When there was the idea that he was retiring, he got the biggest contract ever in broadcast history. And he went to the head of the class. Never has he been on television. He's not doing what you do. You deserve $40 million. (laughs) Yes. And and it wasn't that much, but she deserves it. And I'm like, wait a second, Tom, I've never seen you even talk on the camera like that. Give this money to Allison. Yeah, I mean, never mind that I don't know a single thing about sports. Details, details. Yeah, all details. Uh, All right, you guys, thank you very much. Stick around because up next, there's a dad who posts a TikTok video and it was of his daughters in beautiful dresses. And then people started commenting. We're going to talk about his response next. When one Florida dad posted a lovely photo of his daughters for their homecoming dance on Facebook, he did not expect all of the nasty comments that followed. Here's his TikTok video that's gone viral in response. I put up what I thought was a pretty innocuous post about my daughters looking beautiful for homecoming, but you would be shocked at some of the comments. Take a look. I wouldn't let them go anywhere dressed like that. They should have respect for themselves. So sad that parents think it's okay to send young ladies out with everything showing. So one thing that has always pissed me off as a father of girls is when people say things like, oh, these girls need to dress so they don't distract the boys. Or even worse, they're dressing a way in which they're asking for it. Let's get something crystal clear now. It's not my daughter's job to make sure your son is focused in school. Also not her job to dress hideous enough to where your son doesn't assault her. Yeah. Errol Lewis, Juliet Kayyem, and Carrie Champion are back. Errol, what's wrong with people? <laughs> what's wrong with people is uh, it, it is the great American pastime. Um, judging other people's parenting is like the great American pastime. And, and people do it all day, every day. Uh, they can't even help themselves. And most uh, people have at least enough <laughs> etiquette to sort of keep their thoughts to themselves. But in this world of social media... Time to start tweeting, time to start responding, time to start saying really, really, really dumb things. things. This man is a news anchor in Florida. You're a news anchor here in New York. Do you, what's your policy on your kids in social media? Do you ever post photos? I have, uh, I have tried not to. I've tried to sort of uh, put it, you know, like my my son's uh, playing a lot of rock guitar and he's doing concerts. I can't help it. You know, he's yeah. in the cutting room, you That's know, awesome. and I'm like, look at this. Right. Exactly. Look at this kid. Um, but no, but I, I you know, I, I've been, you know, we've we've all had conversations with security people and they say, yeah. listen, you there's you have to assume that there are some people out there who have an unhealthy interest in your life. Yeah. And you just have yeah. to keep that in mind. So I try to sort of uh, keep it a little bit muted. 
um, as well as the, the larger question of telling a 17-year-old, it's like, you know what? Some of the stuff you're putting out there is really kind of strange. And it's <laughs> not come back to heart. It's a lot of fun they, with they your... They block you? I, it's, it's, I have no, can you follow my kids? Because I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. Yeah, you, you might want to take a look at it because uh, it's, you know, what they think is fun and funny now, it can go into some pretty strange places pretty <laughs> yeah. quickly. So yeah. whenever there's a story like that, I show them. It's like, look, here's a kid who's... Uh, a college acceptance was revoked right. yeah, based on something that he thought was pretty funny. Scary I bet times. he doesn't think it's funny now. Yeah. That's times. right. Yeah. I mean, those girls, by the way, are not dressed that provocatively. That's how teenage girls dress. They wear no. short yeah. dresses. They looked great, his daughters. Yeah. And the idea that yeah. he has to, do, but I, mean, I liked what he said about, yeah. why yeah. is it my daughter's responsibility to, a, about your sons? Right. It's exactly right. It's the idea that that everything is going to depend on the how we teach, what, what and how we teach our girls is ridiculous. There's a, another... Uh, gender here uh, of the boys who need to uh, also be taught and listened to. And I have to say, though, I, I'm going to just pick up on it. So I am pretty hardcore about this. And anyone who might have strange people following them or whatever, n- never put your kids up in real time. As a never. national security expert, mm-hmm. I, I, I advise people, do not put time. your kids up. If you want to put your kids up, do not put them in real time. That's fair. I do not say where you are. Do not, people think, I can't believe like people who I know have like enemies are like, oh, here we are in Hawaii. Yeah. And you're like, you know, it's like, don't yeah. tell us where you are. Because don't tell people where you are because they'll in break into your home when no, you're not no, home you just don't want to they'll say find you, you if in you say, If you say, I'm here at the, at the beach, uh, beach, at what you hotel know, you're and, at. And, and yeah, and here I am with my kids, and here's what my kids look like. I, look, the, everyone has their tolerance level. This seems to me something that if if you're a reporter or something, all, all the stuff I was saying, like you know, you are being advised for it at some stage. You know, he's a semi-public figure, but that doesn't go to the the, the stupidness that people respond to. I yeah. mean, people were just being mean to him and his daughters. Yeah, but I think the, your advice is great. Yeah, that's that, good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Solid. it's a little hardcore, and I get it, but, like, I, I just— You're the national security expert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look what happened to me. I ended up here. I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Friday night, give party. Me, give me advice, you know, on don't put your kids on social media. Well, okay. no, I think <laughs> I, these are all things that I hear often, too, yeah. but what you said was best. Like, what is wrong with yeah. people? And that was so— eloquently put into the point. I remember my friend just the other day posted something that her seven-year-old daughter wrote to her. Why are people so dumb? And I thought that was <laughs> yeah, so funny because she had yeah. had an, she had something happen to her at school and she was like, mommy, why are people so dumb? I was like, see, there she is. She's a, ch- a child who understands yeah. what this world is about. Yes. I think it's unfortunate that women in general are criticized. I think, especially in the world that I come from in sports, and you know right. this being on television, we, can, we wear anything, we say anything, we're criticized for who we are and we can't just be. And in a world where there is so many, so much pressure, there is so there's so much going on. I don't feel like we should be policing people. And I love what he said. I hope my my, my children never grow up to be an adult to criticize children. Yeah. Why are adults criticizing children? Yeah. Like really, they can't wear that. Is that a problem? And I was really I was really glad that that father stood up. And he said, Yes. Is it my choice to have them dressed like this? No. They'd be in snuggies. They'd be in snuggies. <laughs> They'd be in snuggies. They'd go out in snuggies all the time. But I can't put them in snuggies or a paper bag from head to toe. Control your child, your male child. Teach them to respect women. That's the message here. Still respect us. We matter. Yes, for sure. And I'm surprised. I mean, I I find that when we put up pictures, it's generally incredibly nice. People are incredibly complimentary. People are, you look great. People are so supportive. So it must have been, he must have put it up on like a, a... 
uh, station Facebook or something, because no friends of yours on Facebook <laughs> would true. respond that's that true. way. No, that must right. have that's, been strangers. No, that's exactly right. Also, it, it, right, in his own peer group, I'm sure there are other people yeah. who have teenage daughters. And, you know, the, the skirts are short and the, right. the heels are tall and yeah. that's how they dress and that's what it is, right? And if they're not sort of scandalizing their parents a little bit, they're not being <laughs> yeah. good teenagers, that's right? right? I mean, and I think everybody in his circle understands that. There's just this larger circle of, the, of judgment that's out there waiting to condemn any parent who's not doing exactly what I or somebody else is doing. And then they're probably jealous, too, because the little girls look great. They look great. The ladies look great. Don't be jealous. Let them be cute. You guys. Stop hating. Stop your hate. Yeah. (laughs) Have a great Friday night, you guys. This has been a wonderful Friday night to spend with you guys. Thanks so much for being here. You too. Thanks for having us. All right. It's time for all of you to sound off. I'm going to read your tweets to me (laughs) next. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay, it's time for you to sound off. Let's see what you're all saying tonight. So Christina is tweeting about the Paul Pelosi attack. She says, I'm sorry to hear what happened today. Need to stop the conspiracy theories. Everyone needs to vote. Agreed, Christina, for sure. And then this is about, um, this. we were talking about how maybe social media is uh, contributing to some of this violence. So John's idea was it wouldn't be popular, but what if all of social media was shut down at some time before the election? Cell phones, PCs, iPads, and laptops would still have internet connection. Okay, interesting idea. And uh, Chaolo tweets, perhaps Brady retired because his marriage was in trouble, but found out when he got home, it didn't fix things. So he went back to work. And that's the story. All right, you know where to find me, at Allison Camerata. Okay, so next week, we'll be announcing this year's top 10 CNN heroes, one of whom will be the next CNN hero of the year. Now, last year, you chose an incredible woman named Shirley Raines for that top honor. She fiercely protects and serves people living with homelessness on LA's Skid Row. So before we kick off voting for this year's CNN hero of the year, we wanted to check in on last year and give you a peek inside her big win night, the reaction from her Skid Row community and what she's been up to. Shirley Rains. As much as you want to live in the moment and say it doesn't really matter, let's be real. I wanted to bring that prize money, that win and that recognition to the community. I really wanted them to have that platform. Winner, 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 winner. Good morning, you guys. Congratulations, Shirley. Congratulations to y'all. The world had an opportunity to vote for 10 amazing organizations. And they chose one that dealt with homelessness, which I think to them might say, oh, my God, people really are paying attention. People really are looking. People really do care. I'm hoping that this win will bring more eyes down here. There's a massive need for blankets. There's a massive need for tents. I've always said this from the beginning. I don't do hero stuff. You know what I mean? I do human stuff. I know something about you. I know something about you, too. Honestly, all the stuff I've been through in my personal life, I think it's amazing to have gotten this far. Because I came from, oh, my God, the bottom. And I was on the CNN Hero Stage, child. It definitely should give hope to other people. And to see Shirley in full action and catch up with the community that shares her honor, you can go to CNNHeroes.com right now and then get ready because next week we'll be announcing the top 10 cnn heroes of 2022 thanks so much for watching tonight everybody have a great weekend our coverage continues i'm dr sanjay gupta host of the chasing life podcast 
In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.